This episode of the Duck Gun Podcast proudly brought to you by Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels, the market's only double-walled, roto-molded dog crate, and a five-star crash test-rated kennel. These American-made boxes come with a lifetime warranty, and the guys over at Gunner Kennels have done some crazy testing just to show how strong they really are, like dropping 4,000 pounds on it, hammering it with a 630-pound sled, tossing it off a 200-foot cliff, and shooting it with a 12-gauge at seven paces with no pellet penetration. You're hitting the road with your dog this season. Gunner Kennels is your safest bet. Protect your best friend and protect your investment. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. On today's episode, we're joined by Jake Teal from JT Calls, and we discuss all things waterfowl and uh, specifically a lot of duck calling stuff. But before that, before we jump into it, a quick word from our partners, and we'll get right into the podcast. Hey guys, Tim from HTR here. If you really want to get your group up front and in the action, check out our new HTR A-frame. Hunt anywhere, concealed. It sets up and takes down in less time than it takes to put your waders on. We've developed our own camo patterns for a better hide, with more designs coming. We have you covered from the sides and the top. Oh, and did I mention, our A-frame is only 10 pieces out of the box? Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and on htrinnovations.com. Hey guys, another great company that we have partnered with is Sportsman Taxidermy. And we had Corey on the podcast not too long ago, so jump back, check that one out. Really great content there. Um, But they do everything from waterfowl, deers, turkey, and they've even done a lion at the shop. It's award-winning taxidermy, and they're out of Belton, Missouri. Um, You can reach them at 816-331-5171 or email at taxidermy at outlook.com. And did I mention, if you're not in the area, they also do shipping, so that's great. Be sure to check them out, guys. We'd like to give a big thanks to our partners over at White Rock Decoys. Be a nomad and get out further with more decoys with their lightweight system of windsocks, silhouettes, and fully collapsible floater decoys. We'd also like to give a big thanks to our partners over at Bailey's Game Calls. These 3D printed plastic calls are made in America, highly customizable, and floating. They also have a patent pending on the density of their calls, which allows them to mimic wood and acrylic calls be sure to check out bailey's game calls for your next duck or goose call what's going on folks i'm jordan from duck gun chronicles got my co-host alongside me elliot from freelance duck hunting and our guest for tonight is jake from jt calls how you doing wonderful how about you guys doing great glad to have you on here tonight you know it's everything is changing so much how how, how, i'm asking how old are you 27 27 it's just like we're at the point in 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 our society where younger guys in their 20s can kick out these professions and go full-time with them i mean it's just amazing at how easy it is um compared to 20 years ago sure to just like get up and run (laughs) with a product or it's not it's not easy but you know it's just cool and we're encountering a lot of 
that with the podcast, you know, you guys in their twenties that are like, I'm going, man, I got this. It's cool. It's glad to have you on. Yeah. I'm glad to, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So I guess, you know, to jump into it, uh, for those of the viewers that don't know who you are, go ahead and, uh, you know, just give a little background of who you are. So my name is Jake Teal. I own and operate JT Calls. I'm 27 years old. Um, I've been hunting all my life, duck hunting all my life. Kind of grew up, cut my teeth on it, and it's been my passion for as long as I can remember. And one day I decided I was going to start making calls and it was a hobby. And now here we are. It's not a hobby anymore. Awesome. So how, how long, long did it take to go from, uh, there anything we're asked the same question. How long yeah. did it take <laughs> to go from hobby to doing it full time? Um, and it was a, it was a slow, a slow progression. It was a, it was a hobby for probably two years and then it started turning into more of a business where it was consuming my, you know, six at night till two in the morning time slot. And that happened for about two years. And then um, about a year and a half ago, I just took the leap and started doing it full time. So it was about it was about four years before I decided that it was it was time to make the jump. Awesome. That's pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I guess, uh, when you started out, um, I guess you, were you just making duck calls or I know you got, you got Turkey calls as well, or. Well, I started, I started on Turkey calls because you know, the, to me anyways, the Turkey call is much simpler than a duck call. It's, you know, it's, when I when I got started, you know, there's all kind. You can learn how to do anything online. I was, you know, reading the forums, watching YouTube videos, and a turkey pot seemed way easier to do than a duck call because you know you turn the just turn the barrel on the on the lathe. It's basically just a woodworking project. It's knit. That's simple. It's when you get onto the tone board is where all the magic happens. You know, when you when you're tuning a duck call, just a couple of strokes with a file changes everything drastically. So. It took me a while to graduate into that, but I started on the pot calls and I turned a bunch of them before any of them sounded like a turkey, but I finally, you know, got one that sounded like a turkey and took notes, duplicated it and tried to improve. What type of call is that you're saying? Uh, turkey, a pot call. Like What's a slate the... call. Okay. Okay. Slate call. Yeah. So here's a, a kind of a fun fact. So I bought one of your diaphragm calls from you um, at the show when I was down there last year. Um, yeah. met you for the first time, but, um, I'm a, I'm a newer Turkey hunter. And so the year previous to that, my buddy called into Turkey for me and I, um, and I shot it. Uh, so this year, uh, I went out with my dad opening day and I called it first Turkey. I called in actually. Um, <laughs> and, uh, my dad shot his first Turkey using that call. So just kind that's, of fun fact. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so kind of getting back to, you know, your calls and your business with that. So, uh, how long after that did you start making duck calls? Um, I didn't, it took me a while before I got my first functioning duck call. I start, I tried to make duck calls early on and I got the, you know, I got the barrels turned in the basic shape of them, but it was probably 
three years into it before I got a actual functioning tone board that I was somewhat happy with. And it was still, I mean, I still have it. It's awful, but it was, you know, I can, I can make it sound like a duck. And that was, that was probably three years into it. What is the hardest part about making a duck call? Um, it's getting that, getting the tone board, right. It's everything, everything has to be perfect. Everything, all, all the components have to line up perfect for it to, for it to work. Like, you know, I can, I can get it rough and then, you know, I'll, I'll run through it and it'll have a really great top end, but then it takes way too much air at the bottom end. So it's, it's learning, you know, okay, I got to take a few strokes of the file towards the cork notch or at the tip of the radius, you know, it's, it's figuring out, you know, what adjustments to the tone board affect the sound. Mm. And so that's, that's the biggest, that's the biggest learning curve is figuring out, you know, when you sand the tone board here, what happens? Cause it, you know, positively affects something and then it also negatively affects something. It's finding that medium. And you're doing that all on yourself without any kind of uh, anyone other than YouTube videos helping you. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, so um, in your process, uh, do you turn calls? Or I know um, I don't know where I think I saw this. Maybe it was one of your social media posts, but um, you CNC calls as well, correct? Yes, I do some throughout the summer. Um, you know, once but that gap between turkey season and then when waterfowl season starts up, I turn quite a few customs. I did last year, anyways. And so you know, I get a little bit more time to uh, be in the shop, and I turn some customs by hand still. But the acrylic calls, everything on the website, that's all done on a CNC. So it's every single one of them is exactly the same. And the tone boards are milled, so they're, you know, close. And, I, you know, I still, I still spend between, you know, depending on how close it is, five and 15 minutes on each call. But the, uh, all the calls that are on the website are turned on a CNC now. And can you explain what that means exactly? So the CNC is... Basically, it's just like the lathe that I use, but instead of me holding the tools, it's a computer, you know, controlling an arm. So it's all very precise. So every single one of them is, you know, it's 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 just for repeatability, really. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So I've done I've done some of that. Um, well, not on calls, but uh, CNC stuff in the past um, for work. So I'm just curious, did you learn that on your own as well, or? No, I have a guy that does that for me. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So you got somebody who codes it and programs all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, that's that's way over my head at this moment. <laughs> I was gonna say that'd be that'd be impressive to, from scratch just to start like coding stuff and. <laughs> I mean that's a that's a goal in the future, but it's I don't well, know. Yeah, if, it's if way easier with a mentor. Yeah, I don't know if the coding will be harder or the you know the seventy five thousand dollar machine acquiring that. I don't know which one else is gonna be harder. <laughs> that's that's a goal for the future. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be a, a lot of calls to <laughs> invest yeah. into a machine like that. So how many different types of duck calls are you currently selling? Um, right now we just have one, the CQ2. We, uh, I started, I actually started with the second split. That was the first call that I came out with. And then I kind of, you know, modified it and improved on it and then created the CQ2. And I, Everybody's always asking for a new one, but I'm not really sure how to improve on it. It's for me how I call it's perfect. You want to give us a sound file, maybe? 
Yeah, I can do that. So this, and of course, you know, being the being the call maker, I have the the reject calls on my lanyard. <laughs> the ones that got messed up engraving or no engraving. So uh, this is the this is the CQ two. Sounds good. Yeah, so sounds it's a, good. It's a, a mid-range call. It'll get pretty loud, but it really shines on the bottom end. The, the feed call and the real soft stuff doesn't take much air, so you can get really quiet with it. It's, it's, it's perfect for what I do. Awesome. You know, I know uh, one thing you do uh, um, on your YouTube channel is <clears throat> you have different calling tutorials, and um, I kind of do you know some really basic calls, you know, quack, feed chuckle, but... Um, sure. I, I definitely need to sit down at some point and learn some of those more technical, um, different types of calls, um, yeah, that you have examples they're, of. They're fun to do. It's not, they're, they're super not necessary to kill ducks, but they're, you know, they don't necessarily impress the ducks, but they impress your buddies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but one, one for sure that I, I've seen you have on there, you call it the Cajun squeal. I think it's, is that what yep. you call it? Yeah. You want to go ahead and explain that one? So, yeah, I'll, I'll show you what the Cajun squeal sounds like. It's, it's kind of a controversial note. <laughs> so it's got that squeal at the end. So there's, there's some guys that, you know, claim that that's, a duck doesn't make that sound. But I think ducks make that sound. And if, even if ducks don't make that sound, that sound kills ducks, I can promise you. <laughs> and so where that, where that note comes from, is in theory, you know, the ducks are, that's a, it's in with the feeding call. So they're feeding around, eating, you know, whether they're south in the timber, filling up with acorns or they're in the cornfield and they got their throat full of corn. It's they're, they're quacking, but then at the end, all that corn is constricting it and you get that squeal at the end. They don't get that clean ending. It squeals at the end. Mm. It seems like to me that's the trendiest call in duck hunting over the last two or three years yes absolutely because i know when i was learning uh duck calling and i am not a very good duck caller but um you just you didn't even hear it uh yeah. the closest thing i kind of kind of remember is like like a lonesome hen um kind of but over the last two or three years it's like that's the call everyone wants to do that's it it's like super trendy yes you can you can get on my youtube and look at all the different tutorials and the Cajun squeal video has five times as many views as the basic <laughs> quack. I can tell you, I've never, I, I have never ever heard a duck make that quack. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not saying it doesn't work because I'm sure it does, but I personally, now we don't hunt in fields where they might be filling up with corn or something like that, but in marshes or on rivers, I have never heard a duck yeah. make that. Make that. It'd probably be hard to get their gillet full of microbials enough to make a squeal, though. <laughs> yeah, or or just like tiny little. Um, we we were hunting this place that we were hunting was full of smartweed, and if you look down in the water, um, since the stuff was freshly, freshly flooded, I mean these little seeds they're eating were really small, but they are so dense in this water that they were almost like clouds, right? Yeah. Up of a mallard. And all those little seeds were so compacted, so tight. The best way I can describe it is almost like a cork. I yeah. mean, 
They had filled, <laughs> absolutely filled their crop with this stuff as packed down as you could possibly. It was really interesting. It was really cool. I should have yeah, taken a picture of it. Yeah. But so the kinda... seed itself is like a poppy seed. I mean, they're like small. Yeah, small. <laughs> so I guess getting back to that that call, do you want to give us a quick, I mean, you don't have to go great detail, just, you know, the brief summary of the Cajun squill. Because regardless of, you know, it being trendy, I think it's kind of cool. So. <laughs> oh, I do too. I think it's You want to know too. like how to do it? Yeah, sure. Okay, so it's not super hard. What you do is, the way you got to think about it, how I describe it, is it's like a garden hose. You got your, you know, you don't have any spigot on your garden hose and, you know, the water's coming out and then you put your thumb over the end of it and now you have more pressure. There's not, there's not more water coming out, but now the pressure's greater. So at the end of my note, you can either pinch your throat together or pinch your lips together and that pressurizes the call more and it gets that squeal. So I'm almost, you almost chew on the call. Like you start the note with your lips open and you end it with a real tight and that, that adds pressure to it and gives you that squeal at the end. Mm. Well, I'll have to try that and probably not in there. Just save everybody's ears from that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's <laughs> not super hard. How often do you use that call when you're out hunting? Um, it kind of, I save it, I save it for last. You know, we start out with, with simpler things. If those are going to work, then I go with that. But then, you know, if you know, it gets to the, you know, throw the kitchen sink at them phase and it's, you know, they've, <laughs> they've circled six times. All right, let's try that. And it's, sometimes it really works and other times it's, you know, you're not, they don't want to be there and they're going to go on no matter yeah. what. Yeah. I've seen some guys on their YouTube videos. It's like that's the only call that they use. It yeah, like. <laughs> it is a good Santa call. So, kind of, kind of along the same lines, do you have any like tips or tricks when you have birds that are circling? Um, I know you kind of said throw the kitchen sink at them, but like I know there's probably not one kind of catch-all um, call where you know you got birds working and they just don't seem to want to come in there. Is there something you you do to call that? You know, what's, what's your go-to on that? So when I, when I have ducks circling the spread and we're hunting, I know this is different for every situation. We're hunting cornfields every single time. I don't know. We don't hunt the river. We don't hunt any marshes. We're only hunting cornfields. And that's just what we got. And so when we have, when we have ducks circling us, you know, and the more ducks that are in the group, the more difficult it gets. But the main thing opposed to, you know, what sound to make is when to make it. When, when we have ducks that are circling us real tight, you got to wait for them. I like to wait for them to get out further, like 80 to 100 yards, and then hit them with a comeback so they can, so when they turn, they have time to drop altitude so they can get in tighter on us. Hmm. Never heard because it explained that way, but that makes sense. If they're, you know, if they're circling real close and I'm just, you know, comeback call and comeback call and comeback call, they're just going to keep circling right above us. I want them, but they're, in, but they're high. I need, I want them to get out farther and then hit them with a the comeback. So they have time to get down and get into the spread. So for some of our uh, newer waterfowl listeners, um, what do you technically, uh, what do you, ref what are you referring to as the comeback call then? So with a comeback call, it's basically anything Anything faster or more aggressive than what I was doing previously, I like to, my favorite one, I, I just like to draw out like a five note greeting call, like really emphasize those first couple notes. Like, 
like tweeting at him at the beginning. And that nine times out of ten, even if they're not going to commit, that'll turn them. And at least give you another chance at it. Gotcha. Makes sense. (laughs) So kind of talking about um, some of the hunting scenarios that you have. You said you only hunt cornfields. Yeah, we're hunting corn 99.9% of the time. <laughs> okay. So you said you don't have birds, like, or you don't have birds to hunt other type of uh, terrain? Yeah, we don't have, I mean, most of our, all, all the water that the birds are sitting on that we're hunting is in city limits. They're all, they're all roosting in town. And yep. then we just got to follow them, hopefully, you know, as they're, annexing more and more into city limits we got to really hope that they cross that city limits barrier and get out into the county but we just follow them off of the city ponds you know there's a lot of gravel pits and tons of retention ponds in housing additions we just got to follow them out to the corn Mm -hmm. and uh i I can't remember if we said this or not at the beginning but you're from indiana as well so i feel your pain on a lot of that (laughs) yeah uh, I recently went down to uh, Kansas to hunt with Elliot, and man, the amount of water they got and marshes and stuff is just like amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's, and it's awesome. I, I watch all these videos; of these guys hunting all this water and the rivers and stuff. And I'd love to buy a duck boat. I'd love to have a duck boat. I think they're the coolest things. But I would just it would not ever get used. Yeah, it can be rough, but I mean, field hunting is fun too. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's I mean, that's the only thing I've ever done. It's the only thing I know. So how much competition do you have for those fields out there? Is it heavy or you you pretty get access pretty easily? It depends. This year's been weird. Um, last year we had a lot of competition for fields. We had, you know, we would have guys come in from, you know, surrounding counties and stuff that we'd never seen before. Like we have, you know, there's, we have our group and then there's a couple other groups of guys that's, that's close to us. And we kind of know like, okay, this is, you know, we kind of stay out of each other's way. But last year, a couple groups of guys came in from, you know, other places and there was some competition for sure. But this year hasn't, we haven't had any problems at all. Do you have trouble getting permission at all? I've, I've talked to some other people who hunt Southern, Southern Indiana and they say getting permission isn't really that bad. No, it, we don't, we don't have too much of a problem with it because, you know, we've all, everybody that I hunt with, we've all grown up here and, you know, our grandparents went to church with the farmers and our parents went to school with the, with the farmers and it's, you know, it's, you say, Hey, you know, this guy, you know, he's my uncle. And, oh yeah. I know your uncle. And so it, it kind of goes like that. Awesome. Yeah. That's nice. But some, I mean, we get, we get plenty of no's too, but mm. you just got to knock on the doors. It's a numbers game. <laughs> what would you say uh, your percentages of the numbers game then? Um, 60% yes. Oh, wow. That's not that's, bad. That's really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to... we don't really... We haven't, you know, we haven't really had to go seek out new permission for a few years, really, because the birds do the same thing every year. There's, you know, there's three fields that I can... I'll bet you my truck that there's going to be birds in those three fields next year. And we've yep. had those fields for years. Mm-hmm. So does that make it easy to pattern, like you know where they're going to go in the fields and stuff like that? Yeah, pretty much. It's it's pretty much the same every year. Gotcha. We got this one field that we got permission on, um, and man, it's been kicking our butt this year. <laughs> it's just it's got this uh, 
this marshy section and it's got like a roost pond that's on private property and then it's got another um like marshy section that's on the property as well and then another pond and then a big field that they go out and feed and like we're trying to pattern these birds and we'll get on them and they'll be using like the pond one day and we'll be like all right well let's you know we get it scattered out get it patterned but like i mean the weather's been really inconsistent this year so maybe it's a bad you know uh, yeah 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 and then if they're just not doing the same thing. So anyways, we've been skunked on this place like three times and like they just do exact opposite of whatever we choose. It doesn't matter if we scout one day, scout two days, and then go out there and try to figure it out. But yeah, anyways, yeah. <laughs> so on those fields, man, it you would think it's just easy to pattern, but not all the time. <laughs> yeah, because I mean the, the time they feed and how long they feed and if they're going to feed once or twice, it, it changes every day and it's... Yeah, I try and keep notes in a logbook, and I think that I have it mm-hmm. kind of figured out, and they, they just prove me wrong consistently. Yeah, <laughs> and then like in between the feed, are they going to go loaf at the yeah. you know one of the ponds, or the marsh, or the roost pond, and you, and you never get it right, and you just like go out to the field, and they just go out and roost, and then I mean I don't know, <laughs> I don't have the answer yet, but that field has been yeah. kicking our butt this year. <laughs> but if there's one thing I know, if it's going to snow or rain, you need to be in the corn. Yeah. That's that's a good uh, good point right there, for sure. So you think uh, kind of on that same line? Do you think in the snow that they go out for shorter feeding spurts out in the field? I, I it depends. I don't know what it depends on. Sometimes they'll go out in the snow. I've seen them go out and feed, you know, really hard for a half hour and then go back to the water. And I've also seen them, you know, it starts snowing in the morning, and as soon as it starts snowing, they fly out in the field. And then they're in the field all day long. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what dictates that. It's still <laughs> trying to figure that out. Yeah. It's almost like you need a backlog of that current flocks um, feeding pattern to know like, oh, are they really hungry right now? They're going to feed all day or, you know, yeah, there's so many things that go into it. Yeah. I got a lot of notes, but they don't quite make <laughs> sense just yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a lifelong endeavor. <laughs> yeah. So I guess uh, right now would probably be a, a good point to jump into the lightning round. But before we do that, um, a quick uh, word about our partners, Lightsall. Uh, me and Elliot both have been using Lightsall products this year, um, and headlamp has definitely come into handy. I'm not a big guy on knowing like the difference between lumens and all that. I'll, all I know is if flashlights are bright and if they work good, and I can say for sure that this one is bright um, and it works great. We've both had situations with it falling in the water and it still works um, great. And, uh, you know, the one pro I'd say on this headlamp that I'm a fan of is being able to go to the narrow beam. I love the big radius beam when I'm trying to look at my decoy set. With these with these better flashlights, the things I really love about them is in the dark, you know, you'll throw out your decoys and everything. Um, it's like, man, I want to be able to see what it looks like. And with these huge radius beams, it really allows you to be able to check out your spread and make adjustments, um, before the ducks make you make the adjustments. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. All right. On to the lightning round. So the lightning round is quick questions with quick answers. Um, just helps us get a little bit of grasp of what you are and who you are as a duck hunter or goose hunter. (laughs) So, uh, uh, what kind of gun do you shoot? Uh, Benelli Super Black Eagle 2. Mm, that's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what kind of ammo do you shoot? 
Um, it really depends. I like blindside quite a bit. I don't, I mean, I'll shoot anything, but I always tend to go back to blindside for whatever reason. Have no scientific data to back it up, but I just <laughs> like it. All right. That's what size, just what all size shell? What confidence. size shot? Um, I like ones. Hmm. Three, I shoot, I like three inch one shot. For ducks and geese? Yeah, because we're, you know, we're always... You know, in years past, I'd always, you know, I'd like to shoot twos for ducks and double Bs for geese. And, you know, here, you know, we're working ducks and I got twos in and oh, here comes a flock of geese. And I, you know, try and get the twos out and get the double Bs back in. And ones just work really good for everything. <laughs> kind of kind of a side note. Um, one of the guys I hunt with takes two guns with him. He takes a, kit, a 10 gauge with <laughs> um, <laughs> with goose loads and a 12 gauge with duck loads. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to combat it. Yeah, that's one way. Were you going to add something, Elliot? I was just saying that uh, my loads keep going. My, my shot size keeps going up and up. We finally switched to sixes for teal, fours for right after teal, which are like gadwall and pintail. And I've been shooting threes for ducks and twos for geese this year. I'm really liking those threes for ducks. Having a lot of success with Yeah. That. What's blindside? What, what is that? Uh, is that that's not steel, is it? Or is it? Is it a mix? No, it's steel. Oh, it's straight steel. Okay, yeah, it's, it's the, Winchester, the square, right? The square pellets. Yeah, it's Winchester. It's the odd shaped pellets. You said is the ones yeah, that are square. They're like cubes. Yeah. Okay, I think there are pitches the... that's supposed to be more traumatic to the bird when it enters them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> do, do you know what the speed is on those? What is I have it? no idea. I'm real big on speed on shells. I don't like to go anything below 1450. I think they're pretty fast. I don't think I have a box of them in here. They're pretty fast. Yeah, I'm sure. So you said three inch and those ducks and geese. Uh, what What is your favorite train to hunt? We've already uh, <laughs> covered that one. Your field hunter. Is that your favorite or only option? If you had an option no, between yeah, that not, and... I wouldn't say it's my favorite. Um, and I'd really like to get... I'd really like to stand next to a tree in the flooded timber. I'm sure that would be my favorite, but it's just just going for us. Yep. Layout blinds or A-frames or? Um, we're using A-frames almost exclusively. That's been a switch we've made the last couple of years, and it's awesome. Yeah, I agree. You can get them in as close with A-frames as you can with layout blinds? Absolutely. Nice. And do you, uh, this is another hot topic we've been talking about and discussing, even amongst ourselves as hunters recently, but um, when you set up your A-frame, are you pushing it out um, or do you have to stay next to like a fence line or some type of cover? I, I'll take a fence line anytime I can get it, but I'm not afraid to put it in the middle of the field. Awesome. It's, because it's such a different concept than a layout line. Like with a layout line, you're trying to disappear in the field. With the A-frame, I'm not hiding. I'm. It's a bush. It's there. They know it's there. But it's just, it's you got to have the X over the top. Like when you when when they fly over the A-frame and you just have the grass on the sides, because you know what what I always tell guys, we're not hiding from deer. It, I don't care what it looks like to you when you're standing, you know, 20 yards out looking at it. It matters what it looks like above. And you get that, you know, two foot wide strip all the way down the middle that you can look into, and it's just black. And so we have. What we do is those, I don't even know what you call them. They're, the, they're all golf courses and stuff. The big, tall bushes, and then they die, and they burn them at the end of the year. And we go cut all those down and zip tie them into little bundles, and they're like five feet tall, and we have just bunches of them. And we stick them in all the straps and make an X with them. So the ones in the front go past the front, the ones in the back 
you know, it does like this. And so there's no there's no black hole down inside of it. And that's that is key. So kind of I'm kind of asking for myself now because we've been, you know, hunting out of A-frames and all that kind of stuff, but as far as when you hunt, I mean, because we debate this stuff between ourselves when we're, you know, discussing how we're going to hunt and how we're going to hide and, you know, we're going to set our A-frame up this way. or um, So one of our fields we hunt um, is got green, I think it's winter wheat. And so, yeah. you know, normally like an, a cornfield or something like that or a picked cornfield or even a plowed cornfield, having that type of brown kind of cover, how you're saying, coming over the top. But we feel like, you know, it may stick out too much, you know, having something that brown and something green, would you be weary about that? Or would you still say, no, no that looks like a bush and it's in green. No, I'm fine. not because you're not, you're not trying to blend in with the ground. You're a bush. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. I wouldn't be afraid of it at all. Okay, cool. All right, let me get my question. In, Cause we, this A-frame thing has been a topic <laughs> all year long. And I, I've, this is the first year that I've um, started using an A-frame and the, the times that we've used an A-frame, we pulled it into a marsh once and we used it at a at a at a lake a couple times. Um, so I've, we've got this pond, and it's grazed by cattle, so everything's chewed down, right? Yeah. And these geese, it's pretty close to a city, so these geese are really used to going into the same spot. So we're gonna hunt it Saturday, and we can either do layouts or a frames. And everyone's saying, "Man, the thought of just putting a box a frame on the shoreline of that pond when it's." completely chew down grass i just can't bring myself to do it i know it's you should try it it's yeah. i think you'll be surprised <laughs> you brush it in enough keep your yeah. head down and i think you'll be surprised we will try it we're easing ourselves into it <laughs> yeah it, it took us a long time to you know it was it took a lot of convincing everybody like let's stick this in the middle of the field like, you guys are nuts yeah but it's and what i've found is the more of them you have you know we have we start with one and now we have three of them and we put them end to end. So you can, you know, they, they we're using the avian X a frames and they advertise you can put four guys in one of them, but I mean, you could get four guys in one of them, but three is, you know, comfortable and safe. I don't, four is cramped. So we get three of them, you know, in theory, you can get 12 guys out there, but we, we put three out there, even when we're just hunting, you know, six or seven guys. Cause the, I think the more, the more obvious it is, the geese are like that. Those aren't hunters. I mean, that's so blatantly obvious that they're not trying to hide. That I think it just <laughs> reverse psychology, and they just yeah. don't care. That's a great point that uh, that no one that I haven't heard anyone bring, bring up. Because my thought is like, okay, if I'm in my layout boat, totally brushed in a marsh, but yet I don't have adequate surrounding brush or yep. vegetation. The, the ducks don't like it. You have yeah. to have, you have to have smart weed or whatever around it to blend into out by itself. It doesn't, it just doesn't work properly, no matter how brushed that I get it. But, um, so, so my thought is, well, the A-frame should be that times 20, right? Um, but just <laughs> yeah, making right. it look like a huge bush. I think it's so, you know, so in the other direction that it, they're just like, that's, you know, those aren't hunters. And I think we're going to get to a point where, you know, let, 10 years ago, layout blinds were the thing. You know, you didn't even have to brush your layout blind in. You had geese landing on you. And then, you know, now they're picking them out. And I think we're going to get to that point with lay or with A-frames where you're going to go back to a layout blind and they're going to be just stupid to the layout blinds and the A-frames aren't going to work as well. But we're not there yet. <laughs> Maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but that's the, that's yeah. the way I see it. 
Hmm. Well, that's the general consensus. I've yet to hear anyone say, no, it just won't work like that. I haven't heard any. Have you, Jordan? I haven't heard anyone say that. No, everybody we talked to about A-frames just, you know, they say if they switched recently and they love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't, I mean, you get to sit on a bucket. You don't have to lay down. It's. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's awesome. Yeah. And, and shameless plug, the, the A-frames that we use is the HDR innovation plugs. Or, wow, plugs. HDR innovation <laughs> blinds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you guys can have those at Indy this year? Uh yes, we will. Perfect. Have to check those out. Awesome. So I think we were on the light <laughs> the lightning round. We definitely derailed pretty hard there. Yeah, that was all right. Yeah, it was a good conversation. So that's that's the point of the lightning round, you know, spur some kind of topics up. But anyways, if I can remember where we're at, um, Face paint or no face paint, or face paint or face mask? Um, no face paint. No face paint. Is that just the A frame hiding you, or? Yeah, it's and it, it just takes too long to get off. Mm. Let me jump in. Let me jump in on this because this has been something, <laughs> and I've even seen you do it a little bit, Jordan. I don't understand this new this new face paint trend to have one little line here, <laughs> one little line there. That's not face paint. That's makeup. Yeah, if I'm putting on face paint, I'm going, you know, all in Vietnam I, style. Everyone is doing that. Everyone. I saw it on uh, Doc. I couldn't believe it. Doctor Duck had it on, um, on that four four duck thing. It's like if you just put one little stripe, one little stripe, that's worthless. Yeah. Have you ever watched Football Man? <laughs> yeah, but that's refracting the light. The reason they do that is because it's so bright. It's totally. I just don't get this new. You know, I think I think that uh, Hardy face paint started that. Is what I think it came from. Probably you see like the little thing it comes in. It has like a little line. So I yeah, mean, you I, got a I love Hardy blonde hey. and little tiny strips of black. <laughs> <laughs> I love Hardy face paint, so I'm not saying anything I negative do. towards him. But <laughs> yeah, um, but a lot of their pictures are like that. Yeah, I got a comment in one of my videos recently. Um, I think what, what, how do you phrase it? He put like a asterisk, and he said uh, covers three percent of his face with face paint for concealment. <laughs> that's the whole comment. I was like, dang it. <laughs> and that, I replied Man. to him like, yeah, but it looks cool. <laughs> and so that, I'm, I'm not afraid to say face. it. I, I, I mean, I, I do it partially because it looks cool. <laughs> but the way you did it last year, you covered a lot more of your face. Well, you're right. I should get back to the, the roots. <laughs> the bright off your face is seriously a duct attractant. Yeah. And so... I'm cool with people decorating it up, but you've got to conceal most of that pinkish glare. Yeah. I just don't have that much real estate left after my beard, man. It's just. <laughs> a beard helps. Beard helps. Yeah, for sure. But if you're wearing your hat backwards like that, you got your whole forehead. <laughs> what are you saying? I got a big forehead? <laughs> no, I'm just saying the way you, it's pick apart Jordan time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Moving on. Moving on. Um, Man, I'm losing track of this lightning round fast. Any, <laughs> anything else I'm missing, Elliot? Uh, choke. Choke kind tube. Of, yeah, what kind of choke you use? Um, pattern master, full. All right. <laughs> Man, you're hitting all of our uh, controversial I know. topics <laughs> tonight. You want to um, defend your use of a full choke? I've just always used a full choke. I, <laughs> I don't know. It reaches out there and gets them. Yeah. So how far shots do you take? Um, I mean, I like them to be 30, 40 yards. Yeah. I mean, 
I try and not stretch it out much much past that. I know uh, you know a modified choke would be would be just fine, but I don't know the, <laughs> the, the full choke just has my name on it. Well, yeah. if you're stretching past forty, you don't want a modified. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so moving on, um, man, I'm trying to think of anything else. So I think that pretty much covers the lightning round. I'm sure with the derailing, I lost the order of it, but that's fine. We got into some interesting <laughs> topics. Sure. Um, but one question we kind of been asking people here recently, um, kind of adding on to the lightning round is, um, what's your most memorable hunt you've been on? Oh, most memorable. There's a lot of them. Probably, I mean, I remember shooting my first goose like it was yesterday. And I mean, it wasn't it wasn't super memorable at the time. I was very young, but looking back, that was probably my most memorable hunt. And you know, things were we did things a lot different back then. I was how many years ago was that? That was probably fifteen years ago. And you know, we just had a, a small we we hunted the same field every single day. We put our spread out. <laughs> season open and the decoy stayed in the field the entire season i still i have i have a you know a full bag that i still have today of greenhead gear mallards full body mallards and the hens are like bright pink because they were out in the sun so long <laughs> and we would just you know they didn't even want to feed there most of the time they were just flying over the fence row and we pass shot them and that was that was i killed my first goose standing in a fence row and shooting into a group of geese, just we, there was a section of the fence row that was cut out, and they'd fly right through that little cutout, and that was how we did it. Nice. Yeah, sometimes those uh, those hunts are you know the best ones looking back on. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So no blind at all, just standing in the brush. Nope, just standing in the fence row. Good deal. We do have a couple questions off the uh, comment, off the comment section. If you wanna, sure, yeah, let's hit up some of those. Um, Red Twig says, "Have you guys ever heard of a bouncing hen call, and it, and have you heard it in the field or on the water? What is a bouncing hen? Bouncing hen. This is the bouncing hen." It's got kind of that hiccup at the end. Okay. <laughs> That's another, that's another controversial, you know, it, you know, it's cool for your buddies. Do the ducks do it? Eh, I don't know, but I throw it in there. It's kind of, it's kind of on the same playing field, the Cajun squeal. It just adds a little bounce at the end of each note. Can you hear it one more time? Okay. I feel, I feel like I've heard that out, out yeah. in the field. In the Pines guy asked, do you guys ever see wood ducks around your area in Minnesota? That's all they see early season. That's a no for me. No wood ducks? No, yeah, I've never really seen. I guess I've seen on TV shows where wood ducks have come into fields, but I've never personally seen a wood duck in a cornfield when I was hunting. No, we don't. I mean, if we get, if we do hunt the river early, we used to, when we were younger, we used to hunt the river. A little bit and we'd get into wood ducks there but not haven't haven't shot a wood duck for for years do you guys shoot widgeon gadwall pintails at all um we'll get about one widgeon and one pintail a year okay <coughs> no gadwall 
No, no, we haven't. We haven't shot anything except for mallards this year. Okay. Mm. See, that's pretty similar to us as well. Um, yeah, it's very rare we see anything but a mallard. Yeah. Yeah, Jordan was saying the same thing, and he came down to Kansas, shot his first gadwall. He was pretty happy. Shot his <laughs> yeah, first it's, <laughs> it's awesome. You know, I talk to guys on you know Instagram and stuff that are from other states, and they're like, "Man, you know, you guys kill all these greenheads. That's all." And they're like, you know, they they have flocks of hundreds of pintail, and they're letting the pintail land because they see one greenhead up there. I'm like, uh, you got your minds. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. Way. Pintail is my bucket list beyond any yeah. other duck. And yeah. I've never I've never seen one in our in our area. We saw last year. It was weird. We had uh, one hunt. We had a flock of like fifty of them. It was just all pintails, and they didn't want anything to do with us, but. We ended up, I think we killed one or two of them last year. And then a few years prior to that, we killed two. But then, yeah, it's they're very, very sparse. Hmm. Yeah, even here down in Kansas, I only kill somewhere between two and five a year. Yeah. Um, tops. We, so, we, we've been seeing a ton more lately, but they're hard birds to get into your set. Yeah. Hmm. But you haven't killed any yet this year, have you, Elliot? I have not killed a scene. I split on one hen with uh, Aiden. Um, but other than that, no, we, and then Aiden killed, Aiden killed that Drake, but no, this has been a poor year for killing pintails for us. Hmm. Probably due with the migration or lack thereof. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. So, so how much longer do you guys have down there in Southern Indiana for your, uh, duck season? Um, Sunday. Okay. Are you more, are you in the central zone? Yeah, we're in the central zone. Our duck goes out on Sunday geese stays in until like february 12th i think okay that's the same as us it's, except for our duck's been out since the 30th of december <laughs> which really yeah, stinks we, all the ducks showed up today <laughs> yeah that's i i meant to i wanted to get a chance to go out and scout today because yeah it dropped yesterday morning it was like 55 and this morning it was 25 and we had a strong north wind all night so i assume that there's that pushed some birds down to us, but I didn't, didn't get a yeah. chance to get back. Well, it was a north wind all, all today as well. Yeah. And uh, up here further north, we got, uh, you know, some snow too. So that, you know, that's going to get the birds moving for sure. Yeah. So I've been hearing everybody saying the migration's finally here, but I'm like, my duck season's over. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how it happens every year. Yeah. Um, I think this year's a little worse than normal. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's been rough. Like I said, we got a we got a good push of birds at like the beginning of December, and they hung around for a few weeks, and we got some really good hunts in, and they just we scattered them one evening, went to set up the next morning, and they were they were gone. Yep, yeah, and I can say kind of it's kind of interesting seeing that or hearing that from you, but a little further, you know, north than you up here, we got a freeze around then <laughs> and so that, yeah that's, that's where all our ducks got. went <laughs> yeah they came down to us we didn't we froze up a little bit but the big bodies of water that and roost on stayed open mm. yeah so we got that freeze and then we never got a new push <laughs> so um yeah i guess oh, excuse me <laughs> uh, i guess from here you know uh, go ahead and let people know where they can find you on social media Oh God! So Instagram. So it's you know just JT call. It's JT underscore calls on Instagram. 
Facebook is just JT Calls. Um, do quite a bit on Snapchat. My Snapchat username is Jake Teal. Uh, www.jtcalls.com. And then we have the JT Calls YouTube channel. Awesome. And any other big plans you want to tell us about before we sign off for this year? Um, nothing too big. We're going to do, uh, we're going to be at the indie show. We're going to probably do the Ohio show. Um, I've inquired about the, uh, Dixie deer classic in Raleigh, North Carolina. So we'll see, waiting to hear back from them. I'm really cutting back on the amount of shows this year. We've, in the past, we've done, you know, six or seven shows a year, and that just it gets a little bit overwhelming. <laughs> I bet. Have you guys been to the uh, Harrisburg, uh, Pennsylvania show, the Great American Outdoor Show? I have not. I've looked into it. We thought about doing that one as well this year, but it's like, what, two weeks long or something crazy? Yeah, it's, nine, it's nine days. It's it's a grind. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but it's it was wild. I mean, I you know, they're... <clears throat> They're trying to tell me that the, the building is going to be packed on a Tuesday. I'm like, you guys are crazy. But they, you know, they canceled school. They were busing kids from schools. <laughs> in. It was it was a wild show, but nine days was a long time. Yeah, I bet. All right. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Yeah, um, thanks for having and- me. I- yeah, and make sure everybody to go check them out over there. Uh, one thing I will add, uh, you've started putting up some YouTube hunt videos, and I've enjoyed those, so make sure to check him out on YouTube as well, guys. Um, anything else you want to add, Elliot? Nope, just appreciate you coming on and talking with us. Absolutely, appreciate you having me, guys. It's been fun. Awesome. Um, and so real quick, make sure, guys, drop over to iTunes and give us a review. We couldn't do it without you. We really appreciate the community and your support. Um, but that's all we got for tonight. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Freelance Duck Hunting, and Jake from JT Calls, and we'll see you guys next time.